0: Every period of profound darkness in human history has been followed by a renaissance, an explosion in innovation and creativity and humanity and science and culture. And I think we stand on the cusp of that again now.
1: Welcome back to Leading Forward. In today's season finale, we will be wrapping up our conversation with Richard Gerber. Richard is an acclaimed speaker, author, and instructor. In part one, Richard and I discussed the difficulties of change, navigating uncertainty and thriving through it all. In case you missed part one, be sure to check it out on our YouTube page or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Now, please join me as we continue our conversation with Richard Gerber. You look ahead, you know, I'm curious with all of the work you do and and talking to all the different leaders and organizations, you know, across the the world, really. um, you know what are you forecasting, and and what are you seeing? Um, you know what the new may be for organizations, and and how they, um, and how they will be experienced. You know, especially from the standpoint of of kind of the professional life, so to speak.
0: Well, I mean, there again, there are, I think there are so many powerful layers to that question, Christy. Mm-hmm. If we just look at the the corporate projection out. To, to customers, to consumers, right? I think the thing we need to be most cognizant of right now is that consumers, our clients, our customers are going to be wanting a greater sense of authenticity. I think that... We are going to be entering a golden new age, a renaissance, if you like, of the celebration of humanity and what it means to be a human being, of connection, of emotion, of supportive value, all of those things. You know, I've said, as I've studied history, and and I'm an optimist, right? So people need to understand that about what I say here. Um, I've always believed you look at human history, every period of profound darkness in human history has been followed by a renaissance, an explosion in innovation and creativity and humanity and science and culture. And I think we stand on the cusp of that again now. So I think companies need to be really clear about their authenticity, their sense of meaning, their sense of purpose, their sense of value, really questioning and interrogating their vision, right? Their brand, does it really speak to truth? Um, And again, when you think about not just the events around the pandemic, but around things like Black Lives Matter, Me Too, all of these things, and we've got to remember that often the young people that have been activating these movements are our next generation, not just of consumers, but of employees too. So I think the key word in the next decade and maybe hope longer is, is authenticity, and integrity. And I think what we need to be doing is measuring our conduct at every level, in every interrelationship, in every interaction against those words. Are we as an organization deeply authentic and do we really exhibit integrity? And I would say that's therefore true. If you look at that projection outwards, the same has to be true inwards. Mm -hmm. And it has to be true of the lived experience of the people you work with.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what came to mind when you were saying that, Richard, was also this level of transparency and accountability to those said values and those said messaging. And I think people expect more. At least we're seeing that more in the States with, you know, there's more expectation around our our organizations and the private sector really supporting social issues, really supporting, you know, those things that, that they're their aspirational at times values denote within their organization. So, you know, we're, we're seeing that play out here. And I I love the, the concept and idea that that's only going to grow based on what you're seeing Um, and really leveling up that responsibility and uniting us in a way where it's not siloed out, um, which is really great. When you, when you reference um, internally, when you think about, especially for a lot of what I do is around, you know, leadership development, executive development, and and part of that, and some of my partners are really looking at how do they engage their talent? How do they retain their talent? And, and when we think about the change and the movement and, and working remotely and all of those things that we reference there and the expectation, you know, that people have for their employers and the organizations that they're a part of, the communities that they choose to be a part of. Um, you know that puts a lot of onus on these organizations, um, and so you know what are your what are your thoughts around that for the leaders that maybe are leading at those highest levels um, when we're we're talking about driving that engagement, all of the things you just referenced there. Um, what comes I, to mind?
0: I think you know another word really, and that is um, you know collaboration, uh, and and I think what's really important here is a recognition, and I've mentioned it in, in a different context already, that the great idea could come from anywhere, in any moment, from any person, wherever they are in the organization, right? And I think that we have to create collaborative and inclusive cultures. So whether you're a member of the janitorial team, whether you're somebody working in finance and accounts, whether you're somebody working in HR, whether you're somebody working in in development and R&D, right? Just because you're in an R&D department doesn't mean you're the person that's going to come up with the great idea. And I think actually that feeling of You know, there are always times where a leader has to make a hard decision that isn't always going to be popular and they always have to make the call. That's why their name's on the door and why the buck stops with them. But I think we need to be far more collaborative and inclusive in those processes, far more transparent, as you said. Because I think if people genuinely feel that their job is of value and has meaning and that they can see the impact of their every action, not just on their job or their salary, but on the ripples of how that has an impact on the people around them, then that becomes a hugely persuasive thing for people. And again, you know, as you rightly identify, one of the things I've observed over the 30 years or so I've been working with young people and and upwards is we have never created, and this is not all this isn't all good, by the way, but it's a fact, right? We have never created a more active generation in terms of their expectation of involvement in anything, right? So active consumerism, we forget, has only really been around for 20-odd years. You know, by that, I mean, you know, the, the customers expect to be involved in the development of product and service and process. And our staff have the same expectations, right? They don't want to wait 15 years before their pay grade says, now they can have an idea. <laughs> and I think, therefore... We have to find ways within, and this is a real challenge for top leaders in an organization because often the log jam happens at middle, middle management level. Now, I don't, This isn't about dissing and being bad about middle managers. I understand the pressure. But when you think about it, that's often where the blockage comes. It's not actually at the top and it's not at the bottom. It's in the middle. And it's because in many ways I've often described being a middle manager in a corporation is a bit like being in purgatory, right? <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is this. Um, the people above you are expecting you to perform and putting pressure on you to perform, Right. Now, the people below you represent a threat to your job because you don't want them to be more talented than you or appear to be more talented to the leadership above you, because then actually your feeling is, oh, my goodness me, does that mean I do myself out of a job? And the person down here, the new graduate entrant is going to be after me in the next 3 to 5 years right so what in the purgatory thing is in a position of middle management i think we need to be really aware that middle managers are desperate to impress the people above you above them and suppress the people below them and we have to find a way of stopping that process and actually that's where senior leaders come in because if you create a culture where you're saying to your middle managers actually my expectation of you is that you find the new superstars with the new great ideas. That's how I'm going to measure your performance. You change and shift the entire culture within the communication line from top to bottom or bottom to top. Do you
1: feel like sometimes, because I I agree with you in in a lot of ways in that, and do you feel that... um, even though that's what is said, there's so much, especially in mid to really large global organizations, is that, when we referenced this earlier, the system, the policy, the procedure is actually in, in not in support of maybe the messaging that you reference there, right? And so we have this dissonance of what is being communicated, um, this aspirational piece to it, but what is actually being
0: reinforced. That's absolutely right. Okay. I mean, and I'll give you an example, an example. I remember, I won't name the car. try and be very careful. It was a major global travel company I was working with. Um, And the travel company works out of having franchisees, right? And as well as having a whole range of companies under the umbrella organization. I remember having lunch with the CEO. And the CEO, who was new, by the way, so they had no blame for, they were new. And and he was holding this massive new conference. And he had lunch in the, I remember at a very posh restaurant in London, I felt totally out of my depth. Imposter (laughs) syndrome, you know, you're sat there going, oh yes, I eat in places like this all (laughs) of the time. Um, (laughs) As we drank some bottle of wine that probably was the value of my annual income. Anyway, (laughs) um, we were sat there. And he said, I've got this vision, uh, Richard. I want, I want to bring the companies together. I want to bring the franchisees together. I want to bring the, the corporate, the companies under the, the, I want to bring us together in a new spirit of collaboration, of support, of mutuality, of, of really reinforcing that. I said, brilliant. And then the day of the conference arrived. And I remember listening to the senior financial director of the group. And the questions to the audience were franchise managers, owners. They were the owners of the businesses that have been acquired and put into the group. And the finance director did this thing. I'm I'm not a financier, so you have to forgive me, Chris. There were lots of graphs and very impressive things on the screen. I had no idea. They could have been talking Latin for all I understood. But then they did the Q&A with the FD, right? And the first question from one person was, right, what are the... Bonus structures for my team, my team want to know what they'll earn if they're the highest performing team in the group. And at that point, I sat there because the other questions then followed on in exactly the same line, right? Because of course, everything, everything in this organization, all of the incentivization was about performance-related pay, but not of individual performance. Against one another, you know that very traditional culture in in capitalism that we believe, which is if you have to compete with each other, you'll force other people to compete. Now, in a traditional tailorist industrial environment, which is all about maximizing efficiency and profit, I get it. But if part of what we're trying to do is develop a culture of sustainable innovation, change, and creativity. That can't be the prevailing wind. Right. So I remember afterwards at the debrief having another lunch with the CEO at a slightly less good restaurant. So obviously he wasn't happy as happy with my performance. <laughs> and he said to me, what did you what did you take from being at the event today? And I mentioned that to him. And it was one of those little kind of moment. There was this incredibly highly qualified, highly experienced brilliantly capable CEO had an amazing route to the point at which they'd taken on this job. And it was like one of those, um, you know, one of those epiphany moments where he went, Oh my God, you're right. We have got to change the structure of the reward mechanism. Otherwise, how on earth we can talk about what? But if people's pay is dependent on them outperforming one another, where's the motivation to collaborate? And I see so many examples like that, Christy. Where, and it, it goes back to that quote that you, you generously shared with people, which is the one I'm passionate about, which is systems and structures change nothing. People do. And actually, all too often, the systems and structures get in the way. And worse than that, what we end up with is the best intention setting off on a journey. But unless we fundamentally release ourselves from the shackles of the systems and structures, what almost inevitably always happens is we end up actually on this journey of, oh, we'll be innovative and creative, but we always end up lurching back to how do we make what we've always done more efficient? Because that's the constraint Mm -hmm. of the system we're working within. Mm -hmm.
1: So, uh, so much there, Richard. And it's, you know, it's almost like the book behind you is simple thinking. It seems so simple, right? Yet there's so much complexity to that. Um, And, and, and opportunity cost and loss and risk um, and figuring out. And so, you know what is your kind of I guess final message in regards to that and and how do organizations and leaders overcome that kind of cyclical kind of vortex, if you will, that keep them stuck?
0: I think I mean the, again, the the really important thing for me is it it's human, and I hope. Um, The response sounds simple, but, you know, I can't be be like the fairy godmother with a magic wand. And the truth is around change, and particularly organizational change, is that it actually requires culture shift, right? And culture shift takes time, and it's messy, and it isn't just a linear upwards line to a new way of working, right? You can't, as a senior leader, go into your organization and go, right, as of tomorrow, bang, because... Culturally, people aren't ready to step into the spotlight of a collaborative environment where everyone shares a greater sense of responsibility for the change and transformation. Actually, the the hard truth is a lot of people will moan about working in a very traditional hyper-managed organization, but it offers them huge protection because they can always blame somebody else, right? If they make a mistake or something goes wrong or they're ineffectual because there's always a system to blame. You take those things away, it can be terrifying. So the point is, start small. Find a group of people at all levels in your organization who you know are like minds, who you know are ready, right? Start with a base camp. Start with an exploratory group of people. Don't expect things to change quickly because if you force it or you present this as a new system or structure, right, it's doomed to failure because it'll just end up in the cupboard of good, the cupboard full of good ideas and new systems and structures that have ended up gathering mothballs, right, for years and time immemorial. It takes time. The, the progress line will be messy. Don't jettison it when you come across your first failure or mistake. Learn from it. Because again, all too often, we want the beautifully packaged silver bullet system. You hire in an expert who gives you the new system, right? You, you, And you go, whoa, there it is. And it doesn't work. So we throw away that $100,000 and we hire another $100,000, $200,000, million worth of idea, right? And that doesn't work. Because every time we go through a dip, we think it's failed. So we need to remember that it's cultural, it takes time. You need to mark your base camp. Where are we starting from? Have a vision of what we want it to feel like, because then you can measure yardsticks along the way. You can measure moments, right? You can also understand and reassure yourself that this is not linear and it's going to take time, but Mm -hmm. do not give up, right? That's really, really, really important. And the reason I say start with a small group of early um, early converts or disciples um, is because, and I hesitate to use this term, but I've not found a better one over the last year, right? What I've learned about change more than anything else is the best organizational change happens through processes of contagion. And I apologize now for using that word. (laughs) And I used to explain what I meant by that, but I don't need to any longer, right? One person sneezes, two people catch cold and so it grows exponentially. And that's why you start small. What we've got to avoid doing is believing we have to create the finished, perfect, bright, shiny new system approach structure and present it to everybody on some big launch day. It's actually much better to use that process of contagion. Start small. And actually what you tend to see is you achieve results far quicker than you ever would have anticipated Mm -hmm. because you are taking people along with you and you are changing the culture slowly.
1: Yes. And it goes back to what you said. You're not doing something to someone. They are a part of that process and a part of that journey. You know, Richard, there's just so much we could keep going and maybe we'll we'll continue this conversation in the future. But, um, you know, as we come to a close, I'd like us to kind of maybe end where we started and ask you the question when it comes to children um, and, you know, your, your role as an educator and your heart as an educator through all that you've learned. But um, for those of us out at that may be listening that have young children or for those that are teachers or grandparents. Um, what advice do you have for us to instill that, um, that, that appreciation for, and that, um, energy for change in our children and keep that alive? Because you said it's already there. It just generally gets, it dissipates over time through the system.
0: I think, well, there are two things. It goes back to the, the, the story of, of, you know, my main inspiration in my life, my mom, um, so it takes courage as a parent. We have to uh, we have to understand that because our reflex is to protect. We don't want our kids to fail. We don't want our kids to make. We don't want them to be upset. We don't want them to experience adversity. So we tend to protect them. You know, even as simple as with a young child um, who's learning to read. You know, you sit there of, of an afternoon and you get the book out, and they stumble on a word. And rather than letting them work it out for themselves, you eventually jump in and give them the word. Right. My favorite example of that is, and everyone will be familiar with this, you know how our kids, when they're very young and they first pick up crayons, right, start scribbling on a piece of paper and even on the table, right? It, it, it's everywhere, right? But they pick up the piece of paper with maybe scribbles in red and orange and yellow and green and black. And it's just like this amorphous, it's like, a, a, it's like your wire drawer at home. You know, that little drawer full of all those wires that are all tangled <laughs> together, right? That's what it looks like. And they come up to you really proudly with their picture. And as a parent, you know the first thing to do is encourage. So you, you say, they go, look what i done, mommy. Look what i done, daddy. You go, darling, that's beautiful, right? And everything's going brilliantly, but the next question is the killer. Because the next question you say to them, what is it? Now, we have to be really careful here because up until the second question, A child sees opportunity and the joy of exploration. The minute you layer in the caveat of, but it's got to be meaningful to me, you're actually starting to get that kid to start to second guess. And one of the things we need to do is we need to allow our children to make their own mistakes like my mom did. She knew I was a lousy actor. She would never even pretend it. She didn't she wasn't one of those parents, "Oh, you're you're brilliant, darling." She said, "Well, if talk it through, if that's what you want to do, what are you going to do if it doesn't work?" She knew I was never going to make it as an actor, right? But she had the courage to allow me to go in that direction and to fail. But her real skill then Was not in saying, I told you so. Now you're going to go back to do what I'm going to tell you to do. She did that thing that all great parents and educators do, which is okay, so let's talk through your experience. What worked? What didn't? Why didn't it? What did you learn from it? What have you developed? Because then what we do is rather than closing the loop and believing our job is always to do what somebody else wants or expects. Or live to the value or expectation of somebody else. What we're actually doing is teaching young people to continue on their journey, but to be cognizant of mentorship and support. But most importantly, the power of learning. And the biggest lesson of all is, you. and this is something I learned many years ago as a teacher, you learn nothing new by getting something right. You only ever learn something new from the point of a mistake or the realization that you don't know something or you can't do something. And so what we need to do as teachers, as parents, as managers, as leaders is remember that. And remember, it's the way we interact with our child, with our member of staff, with our loved one, whatever our relationship is with that person. And we encourage them to go, great, this is the moment where we learn something new. That's how you galvanize it, how you support it, and how you give people the courage to pursue it through their lives.
1: Wow, Richard, so well said. Your passion just shines through in your words and your messaging and your expression. And it is so powerful. So thank you for sharing your experience and and lessons and um and thoughts with us today. Um, for those that may want to connect with you or learn more, um, w- where could they find you?
0: So there's my website, which is just richardgerver.com um, on social media, because I'm very lucky. I'm blessed in this world with, I think, being just about the only Richard Gerver in the world. <laughs> so you'll find me on Twitter if you look up Richard Gerver or, or Facebook or Instagram or any of the social media things. Um, and the one thing I promise you is if you connect with me and you reach out to me, I will personally respond to you. I promise.
1: Yes. Well, thank you, Richard. We'll also put up information on, um, when we upload our conversation. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, people can reach out and connect and, and be encouraged by your words and your messaging. So thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to next time.
0: Oh, Christy, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for joining us. To listen to future episodes, you can subscribe to the Leading Forward podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. For those of you who enjoy the full experience, you can watch the conversations as they unfold at christyberger.com. Until next time, keep leading forward.